Well, good morning. I, um, <clears throat> I just want to say right up front that um, I have a passion, a passion for Jesus. And it's something that sometimes I can't contain. So I want to say again that if I perhaps um, might overflow, um, I trust that you will understand it's what the Holy Spirit's doing, and I trust I understand it's what the Holy Spirit's doing in me as I share with you this morning. One of the most powerful encounters I had with the Lord was actually at the first vineyard conference that happened in Australia 30 years ago this year, in 1987. And I've shared that story with most of you, if not all of you, at different times. But what happened to me on that conference was I discovered a whole other paradigm, a whole other parcel of understanding of how God interacts with us and how particularly God interacted with me. And it caused me to take off a set of glasses that I'd worn as a Christian for the best part of 30 years then. Uh, no, that wouldn't be right, would it? Yeah, close, I guess. And, and see with new eyes the offering that was in the Word of God and that the offering that was in Jesus. And so this morning I want to share something of what that unveiling of understanding has brought me. And again, one of the keys for me was that it called me into a, a kind of servanthood in the body that I hadn't um, probably felt before that. And that's why before I mentioned that kinship has been a part of my way of serving the body here since we planted the church. At the beginning, Carol and I were the senior pastors because we started it. But at the same time, we felt to have a kinship group on a Wednesday night. And that's been a continuum since then as a call on my heart to want to share with other people in a small group the kind of love understanding that I have of God. And our kinship that meets now on a Wednesday night in the Mercy Centre continues to bless people as God would choose. Uh, my job is easy. I just get there and say, what do you want to do, Lord? And hopefully that means that he's in charge. And so that same overflow into this morning, I've invited two of our kinship members to just share for a minute. And one's a minute and a half and one's half a minute. So between them, they've got two minutes, they've told me. Um, I, I asked if they would just share something of their kinship and or kinship Jesus experience. So Craig, Craig Rolls is coming out first. Give Craig a welcome, please. Thank you. Um, so uh, two, two things stand out to me about the kinship. There are many things I could talk about, but uh, uh, the thing is prayer. Prayer is a huge thing that I, I really love in this kinship group that I'm involved in with David Delaney. Um, and that is uh, praying for one another. Every, every uh, week that we meet, we always pray for one another. And, uh, and that's really encouraging when, if I'm feeling down or depleted, to have the prayer support. But the, um, and the other thing is to, um, to be able to pray for, for the others, you know. Like, for instance, last Wednesday night, 
a man was there who had a pain in his sternum. And I um, just put my hands on his sternum and I said, Lord Jesus, in, by the authority of Jesus, would you heal this man? And the pain went away just like that immediately. Now, that, for me, that's like, wow, you know, I'm so, if you knew my secret life, I'm such a sinner, you know, why would God listen to me? But it's not about me, it's about the Lord. Uh, he loves us. He loves his kids. And so he just graciously reaches out to, uh, to his children. The uh, other thing I like about the, uh, the kinship is it's changing my heart. You know, I, I um, came from a background where my heart was all in my head. You know, it's all religious, what I need to know and understand. But now my, God is working on my heart. And I, I want to read Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, the, the heart, not, not intellect, though that's important, but the heart. Trust in the Lord and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That's what I love. You know, I can see that God is making my paths straight. Uh, you know, coming into this kinship, it's like I'm being discipled and disciplined to follow the Lord in His straight paths. Not because I have to, because uh, I better do what God wants, because my heart is being changed. God is working in me. So I just want to give glory to God. Amen. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Well done, mate. God bless you. And Beck, this is the first time Beck's said she'd be able to do this. So welcome, Beck, please. I have to use paper, I'm not that clever, so here goes. Well, well, where do I start? From the beginning, I hope. My name is Rebecca. As most of you may know me, I have been coming to Pine Rivers Vineyard Church for over a year now, to be exact, probably a year and six months. And in that time, it has been a real journey for me, a good one, of course. I would like to give God all the glory and praise for all the beautiful people that God has placed on my path. It has been a great joy in coming to this church. I feel I have grown and matured in the freedom and grace in Christ. God has placed on my heart two scriptures which relates to my journey. But he's 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in my weaknesses. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ rests on me. Ephesians 3:12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I feel these two scriptures resonate with the journey I have been on. I have encountered revelations for my personal life and God has revealed himself more and more to me. An example, when I first began coming to this church, I was quite shy. Well, that's what you all thought. But as I made many friends that I appreciate, I became bold in Christ and I, and I showed the confidence to be free to be me. The highlight of my journey in being here is that the love and the fruit of the Spirit shows and it spreads like it's contagious because God's light shines throughout the whole congregation. I appreciate the friendships I have made, but the only downfall, many more birthdays now. So it's a time for giving, a time to reap and a time to sow. I would like to tell you that there is good news. What God can do for me in such a short time, he can do for more in just a for you all in just a split of a second. God is so precious and loving and that he loves each individual the same. So what he does for me, he can do for you. Thanks. Well done, Rebecca. Well done, Bless you. That's yeah. special. Well 
Okay, I can sit down now. That's it. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Just another big hand. Bless them and thank them. Good on you, guys. It's not easy to stand up here when you're not used to it. And uh, those guys wanted to share their heart um, of what had been happening for them. But I just want to take us to the Word now. And I want to go to Philippians 3. And Philippians is, is Paul's joy book. It's his book of joy, and uh, as he writes to the Philippian church. But in Philippians 3, verses 12 through to uh, verse 1 of 4, we have Paul pointing to his life focus and his invitation to focus. And he says, and I'm reading out of the message from verse 12, I'm not saying I have this all together, that I've made it. But I am well on my way reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm often running and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us, and who wouldn't? If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. That's a confident statement. Like, you're wrong, this is right, God will show you. That's what Paul's saying there. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running this same course, headed for this same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is Easy Street. They hate Christ's cross, but Easy Street is a dead-end street. Those who live there made their bellies their gods. Belchers are their praise. All they can think of is their appetites. But there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. We're waiting the arrival of the Saviour, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under and around him. My dear, dear friends, I love you so much. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy. Fill me with such pride. Don't waver. Stay on track. Steady in God. That's a great scripture. And it does express the heart of those of us that want to be encouraging others to journey with Jesus. What Paul's saying in this, in a rather blunt way, is that if you haven't got Jesus as the focus, then you're missing out. And he's saying, not only are you missing out, but God's going to wake you up to the full package that he has for you one day. And, and as I said to you 30 years ago, I had a full package, I thought, but then I understood there was another dynamic and another dimension that I was missing out on in my Christian journey. And I journeyed with the Lord, I'd, I'd studied, I, I looked at all the books around here, I've probably read most of them, not all of the ones in here because they're all cut in half, but, but the, the, 
I, I've been a, a lifelong learner of Jesus. And, and I bless God that he's never stopped opening up a new page of my understanding as I've sought to be with him. You know, one of the most powerful things for me is my quiet time every day with the Lord. And I, I sometimes think about that and think, well, Lord, you know, it's only a few minutes I spend with you in the morning. But I'm reminded that Jesus did that with his father. He would retreat. He would go away from everybody and have a quiet time with his father. And that was powerful and precious. And so if I can share something with you, I share the power and the preciousness of the quiet times. I encourage you to that. That's where worship happens in my heart for the Lord. And then I go for a walk or a run and let the Father continue to bless me in that. But here we have an invitation from Paul to have the focus of our focus be Jesus. In the last few weeks, Kirk's been speaking about discipleship. And that's where the real passion is in my heart. In fact, it was back in that Vineyard Conference in 1987 where the Lord said to me, David, the calling on your life is to call the body to discipleship. And I didn't even understand what that meant. I thought, well, isn't everybody a disciple? But then I realized that it, being a Christian in inverted commas did not necessarily make me a disciple of Jesus. I was meant to be. I was being invited into that. I was in the right place to begin the journey of discipleship, but I hadn't probably embraced the full understanding of what it was in fact I didn't know what it was when the Lord said call the body into discipleship I said what do you mean Lord what is it and I started reading about discipleship and I read all the do's and don'ts of what a disciple does and I thought yeah well, I'm doing all of that I think or most of it most of the time but what's missing and the Lord just sort of it was like he he, he just caused it all to crumble in front of my understanding and he said David Discipleship is one thing. It is a living relationship with me. The rest comes after that. And it was like the lights came on. It was like without that living relationship with Jesus, the, the discipleship journey is just a whole lot of stuff. But with the relationship with Jesus as the, the key, the core, then the stuff became Jesus stuff not my stuff not the stuff that I thought I had to do to be a disciple but the stuff that came through me because I was in a discipleship relationship of my heart with his heart and so Kirk's been talking a lot about that and today I wanted to just continue on and talk about the key the key to discipleship is in the heart and the other thing that's powerful and precious and important to note is that it's not in your heart initially it is from the father's heart to us and then our heart response seals the discipleship relationship let me read you john chapter one this is the key to the whole event John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. Again, I'm reading out of the message this morning. The Word was first, the Word being Jesus. The Word present to God. God present to the Word. Here we have Jesus as the Word and God as the Father. The Word was God. So here we have Jesus also being declared to be God. In readiness for God from day one. 
Everything was created through him. Nothing. Not one thing came into being without him. What came into existence was life. Please note. And the life was light to live by. The light life, Jesus, blazed out of the darkness and darkness couldn't put it out. There was once a man, his name John, sent by God to point out the way to the life light. John the Baptist to point to Jesus. He came to show everyone where to look, who to believe in. John was not himself the light. He was there to show the way to the light. The life light, Jesus, was the real thing. Every person entered life, he brings into light. Every person entering life, he brings into light. He was in the world, the world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But, and this is the big but that works for us, but whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made, he made to be their true selves, their child of God's selves. So you get it? That's where it comes. He made us into our true selves when we say we believe Jesus is who he says he is. He then moves and changes us to be our true selves as we were meant to be, child of God selves. Now, I just want to stop there for a minute because a lot of people say that everyone is a child of God. Well, that's not true. The only people who truly are child of God, our Father God, are those who have come and been born again in Jesus Christ. We are all created. We are all a part of God's handiwork, but we have not entered into a father-child relationship until we enter into it through Jesus Christ. And so when you hear people say, oh, well, God loves everybody. Yes, he does. Well, everyone's a child of God. No, they're not. There's a step to become a child of God. They are God-begotten, those who believe in Jesus. They are not blood-begotten. They are not flesh-begotten. They are not sex-begotten. They are not a result of a man and a woman having a union together and a child being born. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, that one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Life can only come fully into full bloom as God meant for it to be when we respond to the life light Jesus with a yes, I believe you are who you say you are. Now we say that, but do we really own that statement in our heart? For many of us, we say, yes, Jesus is my Savior and Lord, but then we doubt whether he'll heal somebody. We doubt whether he really can do what we say he can do. There is, there is a hesitation in our heart often, or in our mind, to embrace when we say, yes, I, believe, I really do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that. 
And I believe he's who he says he is. He is the saviour of the world. He did die on the cross. He was brought back to life in the power of the Holy Spirit in his earthly body. I believe that. So when I come to that place of believing that, that Jesus is who he says he is, God then moves by his spirit and changes me from being who I was into someone who I'm never ever going to be not that anymore. How's that for a confused lot of English? What that means is I'm transformed. I'm born again. Remember when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus? Now, I always mix up Nicodemus and Zacchaeus. Who was up the tree? Zacchaeus. Yeah, it was Zacchaeus, not Nicodemus. I always say that. And, and every time I say it, I think, you know, I, I quoted the wrong guy here. Zacchaeus is up the tree. And Jesus invites him down. And he's having this conversation about being born again. It was Nicodemus had that conversation, wasn't it? You can see how well I know my Bible, don't you? It's important if you're going to preach to know your Bible. I let the Lord cover up the, the, the bits I mess up, okay? The point was that he said, how can a man be born again? Can he enter into his mother's womb and come back out again? Jesus said, you got it all wrong, buddy. That's why I get it wrong. I just call him buddy, not Nicodemus or Zacchaeus. You got it all wrong. It's not a physical flesh thing. It's a spirit thing. It's a spirit thing. Now, the world today wants to tell us that everything is rational, that it has to be worked out, and it's all about the natural and the physical. The Word of God tells us, and Jesus himself said, it has to be another dimension that we are coming into to find life in its fullness. And that is being born again. And we are born again from above. We are born again because he does it. Not because anybody twists your arm or has you say the sinner's prayer. That's acknowledging that in you there's been a change, but he does it. Now, isn't that good news? He does it. Not me, not you. We don't have to dance on one leg or stand on our head in the corner. He does it. He does it all. He does it because his love is powerful and can never be turned away from us. And anybody that wants to come into that place, we can then come alive to the fullness of what God has for us, life eternal. It triggers a heavenly DNA, a release from God the Father via his Holy Spirit into our soul, and we're born again into our alive in Christ, child of God state. That's what happens. We are never the same again. That's good news too. Because for most people, before they come to that point, there's probably a fair bit of their life they've not been happy with. But at that point, we are changed forever, never to be going back to where we were. Now, some of us become engaged in that, as we read in Philippians, with a full-on, yes, I know, and I'm there, and I'll carry on. Others of us become prodigals. We are born again, we're in the family, and then we say, I think I'll go over there and do that. And the father says, you know, it's probably not the best thing for you to do, David. I say, yeah, but I know that that's going to be good for me. And he says, okay, away you go. And Kirk has shared his story. As his dad, I can embellish it a little. Because I know what happened. I was there. <laughs> he grew up and he knew Jesus. 
But then when he became a, an early teenager, he was wanting to go out and be himself. And there was a season when he was a prodigal. He had walked away from being in that living daily relationship. But then the Lord came, set him free from what was holding him captive in the darkness. He didn't do anything about that. That was done for him. He was prayed for. He was set free without him being in the room. And then the next day he said, I can't keep doing this. It was the night before he said that, that he was set free in the spirit realm. I got the picture. I got the whole story. I know how it happened. For years, Carol had said to me, David, pray for your son. She'd been praying, but she felt somehow maybe if I did, it might have some effect. And every time I went to pray for him, the Lord said, David, leave him alone. He's mine. See, God already owned him because he'd said he was his child. He'd given his heart to Jesus when he was a young, younger man. But leave him alone, he's mine. And every time I went to pray for him, it was, David, leave him alone, he's mine. I'm going, but Lord, he's messing up. Leave him alone, he's mine. Well, this night, I said, Lord, Kirk. He said, tonight you can ask for his freedom. I was like, Yes. And I saw this picture and it was like this giant black bladder, udder, with all these tubes coming off it connected to Kirk. And it was all the ugliness of the darkness coming into him. And I said, Lord, in your name I declare him cut free. And as I said that, it was like there was a, a sharp sword went through every one of those tubes and sealed it off. It was cut off and sealed in one whack of the sword and the tubes were still connected to his body but they dropped down but the stuff coming out of the darkness stopped coming the very next day he said i can't keep doing this and the very next night which was a sunday night he came forward for prayer and i was actually preaching that night in the church we were a part of and for ministry he was up the back and he shot down the middle of that church faster than anybody i've ever seen move he was ready and his mother was in there and he said, you can come too if you like, mum. And I just thought that was cool because Carol had cried over her son for years. And when it came to the freedom moment, he said, you can come too, mum, if you like. And Carol was there when she saw his face grew up as he felt the hand of God reach into his chest, tear it apart and rip his heart out. He physically felt that, pull it apart, put a fire hose in it, put it back together and put it back in. And he said, I've been cleansed, I've been forgiven. That's spiritual, folks. There was nobody there with a scalpel that tore his chest apart, nobody there with a, that pulled his heart out, but he felt it. He knew that something had happened to him in the spirit, and he's never been the same since. I thank God for that. You see, even though he became a prodigal and wandered away, he was still God's child. Now, some of us are a bit like that. Oh, Sorry. I'm not putting that on you. I know that at times I'm like that. But the father's heart for his born-again children is never going to shut us out of his kingdom now or forever. That's, you've got to hang on to that. The father's heart for his born-again children is never going to shut us out of his kingdom now or forever. His desire, though, is for us to be like Jesus because Jesus had it all. 
He had a life that was full. Life in all its fullness is what he said he would bring us. John 10.10, he said, The enemy comes to rob, to steal, to destroy, to kill. But I've come to give you life, life in all its fullness. John 10.10, love that scripture. So the scripture says, come to me, Jesus, and you will find life in a fullness that you can find no other way. The world says, do this and it'll be great. But in Jesus, we get the full bottle, full throttle bloom of life that God has in his heart for us and there's nothing better. Amen? There isn't. There can be nothing better because God knows all things and he loves us with a love that is just so powerful. He doesn't give up on us. He hears your prayers when you're a child of God. And while there may be a long delay between the ask and the delivery, there will be a delivery because the father loves his children. As a father, he wants us to have the more that he has for us. His heartache desire is that those of his children would have a life of joy and wonder. Jesus in his earth journey was a rabbi, a teacher. He, has he had followers on the earth, but he didn't end up with a whole team of disciples. He only had a few. He didn't, he didn't always have people want to hang around. In fact, many of them said, you know what? This is all a bit too hard. I think I'll get out of here. He didn't, say, he didn't run after them. He let them make that choice. Like many today, we're looking for a relationship that we want. As I was preparing this and as we were praying last week actually on Saturday morning and there's the prayer group that meets, it's going to meet on a Monday but there's one here Saturday morning, every Saturday at 7.30. You're welcome to come anytime. And as we were praying, we were praying about the shape of Christianity in the world today and the Lord said, because we're all encouraged to look for designer products, we want to design a Christianity. We want a Christianity that fits for us, our lifestyle. Lord, I'm really, really happy to follow you on a Sunday morning to church at 9.30, but I'm pretty busy for the rest of the week, so I'll catch you next week. God is okay with that because he loves us, but it's not the best for us. It's not life in its fullness. He wants us to have the more. And so a designer Christianity designed by man or the world is going to let you down. It will cause you to have less in your life than what God intended. I don't mean materially. I don't mean physically. I just mean totally. The world continues to tell us it's okay for us to have what we want and tell the creator of the universe that we know better. Friends, can I say to you, that is a lie. A big, fat lie. The enemy wants to have us operate on the basis that it's all about me. In John 14, 6, Jesus said these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says these words, no one can come to the Father except through me. Any other offer that is put out there saying that you can connect with God other than through Jesus is 
a lie. The world wants to tell us that there are other religions, and there are many of them. And people try to connect with God through all forms of religion. My friends, as Christians, we need to say, my friend, I am sorry, but that will not lead you to the God who created the universe, who sent his son to set you free. The only way for you to know God is to know Jesus first, to come to him and ask him to introduce you to the Father. We are his born-again children via the Holy Spirit, and so we need to come to Jesus to have that power encounter occur in our lives so that we can be fully released into life. The great good news is that Jesus not only has sorted out our past failings in the Father's eyes, but also has sorted out our future to make it secure with God and opens the door for us to him in a wow experience as the Holy Spirit leads us in everyday living. This is the Father's heart, grace awakening, that I encountered 30 years ago at the Vineyard Conference in Canberra. The fullness of what God had wanted for me was not released until I let go of my understandings and the teachings that had stunted my spirit life. I had a spirit life, but it had been stunted, it had been shaped, it had been held captive to understandings that had not allowed me to move outside of that. A paradigm shift of understanding had to come that I could more fully grasp the spirit-led, spirit-empowered life of Jesus that he brought me to see that which I had been missing. And suddenly Luke 4.18 was alive as a picture of what I was called to as a disciple of Jesus. There's a number of core key things that I believe go with this message and are part of who we are as a movement called Vineyard. One of them is that we are about the kingdom of God. That is what we're on about. We are on about the Father's heart and his love for us in Jesus Christ. And we are on about then being like Jesus and doing what Jesus did and what Jesus calls us to. And you go, wow, how are we going to cope with all of that? Well, it's fairly simple, really. And Jesus said it in John 5, 19. He said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. That's a very, very key scripture for our journey as a disciple of Jesus. And you know, when Jesus said that, he wasn't saying, I'm a stunned mullet without seeing what God's doing. What he was saying is, I can only do what I see the Father doing because that's the passion of my heart. I don't want to do anything else but what I see the Father doing. You get the difference? It's not, a, it's not an obligatory thing, I can only do what I see the Father doing or else I'm in trouble. It's I can only do what I see the Father doing because I know that is so good and is absolutely the best for anybody and everybody that comes along. That's why I can only do what I see the Father doing. That's important. It's a difference. When we're interacting with people, it's, God, how are you wanting me to love on them the way you love on me? Not how do I smack them around the head and tell them what they've got to do. How can I love on them, Lord, in a way that's going to change their life for you and for the blessing that you want to bring to the world through them? That's the invitation. The paradigm shift was that in Luke 4.18 where we read Jesus was in the temple and he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he read from it and he said, 
effectively announced the start of his ministry. Where he said that this is where, I was going to quote it out of the other one, but let me just read it out of here. Because it, it does it. I've got to find Luke. I know it's in the Bible. It's okay, I got that bit right. This is a foundation scripture of the vineyard movement. God's spirit is on me, Jesus said. He has chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and battered free and to announce this is God's year to act. I like the way Peterson does the paraphrasing of what was my old understanding in the NIV. It's still the same understanding, but he, he puts it in words that are fairly straightforward and blunt. You see, Jesus said, the Spirit of God is upon me to do the things that have not been done but are only able to be done in the power of the Spirit of God upon my life. Jesus was fully human as well as fully God. He left his creative power behind in heaven when he came to earth. And he received the Holy Spirit's power upon him at his baptism so that he could do this stuff. So that means that when we are born again into a relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes on us, we can do this stuff. We are invited into doing this stuff. And one of the things that we have as a statement in the early days of this church is doing the stuff. It was a vineyardized expression. And the stuff is the stuff of Jesus. That's still relevant today, my friends. That is still what we're here for. We're not here to just be a cosy group of friends having a good time on a Sunday. That's okay. That's part of being loving towards one another. But there's a dimension beyond that where we will do the stuff of Jesus for one another. And I, I just want to say thanks to Craig and Beck because they were sharing that that's what's been happening for them in the kinship group. And that's got nothing to do with us. That's got everything to do with the Holy Spirit wanting to touch and bring life and blessing where there's been distress and, and, and brokenness. Jesus has invited us into a discipleship relationship with him. Only in that relationship can we come to full life that God wanted for us. I don't know about you, but I lived 40 years of my life, 40 plus years of my life, in a pretty, pretty good way, pretty happy. I was very happy with what I had. I, I missed nothing. But I did miss something. I missed the extra that Jesus had for me to do. I used to pray for people with bad backs because I couldn't see if they got healed. You know, it was like, yeah, I'll pray for your back or I'll pray for your cold. But then I started praying for people and expected to see a change because it was like, hang on a minute, there's something here that's broken and Jesus came to fix things and he's invited me to help him to declare it should be fixed. Now, does that mean every time I pray somebody is instantly healed? No, it doesn't. But I know that I'm invited into the relationship that releases me with the authority to call out for healing. 
And I have authority to tell the darkness, to tell the enemy, the one that, has having, that had Kirk trapped with all these tubes on him, I have authority to cut that off. I've seen the fruit of it. I've seen it in other people, but it's very real when it's your son and your heart's crying out and you see it happen. You go, yes, we got that one, Lord. And there's freedom now. You see, I have that authority and so do you as those who have said yes to Jesus. But we don't always step into that authority. We tend to be a little hesitant because what if it doesn't happen? What if a demon gets out and wants to bang us on the head? Well, you know, Jesus is stronger than the demon. If he bashes you on the head, somebody will come along and pray for you and you'll get better. It's never happened to me. I've had a number of very deliberate demonic encounters in ministry and I've never, ever been hurt yet. There was a lady once at a camp I did in Toowoomba many, many years ago and we were in a big hall and there was just two chairs in it and I was, she, she collared me on the, at the end of the camp and I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. The Lord had warned me. And she said, she walked up to me and she said, I am going to kill you. I said, no, you're not. Now, I knew it wasn't the lady. It was, it was a spirit in her that was very unhappy with what I'd said that weekend at the family camp for this church. I said, no, you're not. She said, I am going to kill you. I said, no, you are not. Now sit down and be quiet. If anyone had been there, they'd have thought I was the rudest man in Australia speaking to a woman like that. But I was speaking to the spirit in this lady. And she, she sort of struggled. And I said, sit down. Let her sit down. And I spoke directly to the demon and said, let her sit down. And the lady sat down. And her hands were, she wanted to get her hands around my throat. She was wanting to strangle me. The long and the short of the story is that the Lord set her free. I was not touched. But she became free that day from this spirit that had been wanting to kill to stop anybody telling her that there was freedom for her. It was the spirit. She was desperate to be free, but the spirit wasn't wanting her to be free. It was arguing. And I, I don't have any great brilliance in this. It's the Holy Spirit. As he leads us, we go, okay, I'll, I'll go that way, Lord. And if we're wrong, well, we're wrong. We apologize. We say, I'm sorry. I thought it was a spirit. If I yelled at you and there wasn't one there, I really am sorry. I just care about you enough to be getting it wrong. So you don't have to be right. You just have to know that Jesus is. He's always right. I love that thing that Kirk said the other day when the kids, you know, we ask a question in there and they say, what's the answer? The kids say, Jesus. You know, the answer is always Jesus. And the answer is always Jesus. There's a lot of truth in that. The kids are a long way down the road ahead of us sometimes when we come to that. So my friends, the invitation today is that we believe, we take from our head and let it soak into our heart fully who Jesus is. And, and you know, we're all in different stages of our journey with Jesus and, and, and that's great. I mean, I don't mind where you are in yours. I just know that for me, there's always some more. And so the invitation is today, keep your heart open to the Father's love, changing us, changing you into the likeness of Jesus. That's, I believe, what the Holy Spirit wants to have as the summation of all of that today. Keep your heart open 
Do not close your heart down. Do not say enough. Do never say, I don't want any more, Lord. But keep your heart open. In the moments where you just have the quiet times with the Lord, say, Lord, my heart's open for what more you want to tell me, show me, say to me. My heart's open, Lord. And remember John words, John's words. He said, he made us to become our true selves as children of the living God. There is always more as we daily die to our agendas and be willing to be like Jesus when he said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. Amen.